Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. This morning we are here today, we're in the midst of a series called Ridiculous Grace. Ridiculous Grace. And this morning we're going to be talking about how ridiculous grace and this ridiculous forgiveness flows out of that ridiculous grace. And so I'd invite you to turn with me to Matthew 18, Matthew 18, going to be looking at that. We're looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's found on page 816 in the Bibles in your pew. This is, a, this is an intense parable. This is a parable, and Christ is talking to Peter here at the beginning of the parable. He's talking to Peter, and Peter has seen a pattern here. See, Christ is introducing these new ways of the kingdom of God, and oftentimes these ways are calling the disciples and calling the people he's speaking to to a level that is higher than the law was calling them to. He's calling them to levels of things that they cannot do on their own strength and power, things that they cannot accomplish in their own self-righteousness, things that they can only do because of the power of Christ in them. And so once again, here's Peter, and he's like trying to kind of be the teacher's pet, Christ. So you're talking to us about forgiveness. The law says we got to forgive three times. What are you going to tell us? We got to do it seven times? Christ looks at him and says, No, not seven times, 70 times. Seven times. And then he goes into this parable. Follow along with me. Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so the master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master, and he begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king... He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, and he grabbed him by the throat, and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is the word of God. This is not my favorite parable. When I was given this verse and I looked it up, I said, are you kidding me? This is a pretty intense parable. 
Today we are talking about forgiveness and more particularly our inability sometimes to forgive people, the unforgiveness that sits in our lives. And I don't know what you're feeling right now. I don't know if you're feeling just something rise in you. Maybe you're feeling uncomfortable with this passage. You don't like how maybe it portrays things. I don't know what you're feeling. Maybe that you know you have unforgiveness that you've been holding on to. Maybe you just run a run towards the door. Go for it. I'll follow you. Let's do it. <laughs> this parable is here. It's here, and my goal today is to help us understand what I believe Christ's message in this parable is. Because we're talking about the ability to forgive others. Those words, I'm sorry. I don't know how you grew up, what your household was like when you grew up, but I grew up in a household that if my brother and sister were fighting, because I was always out of it, I never fought with either of them, but if they were fighting and they got in trouble, I was joking, I fought a lot, okay, just, for, just set the record straight. But if they were fighting, my father would call them to him, and we'd have to hold hands. We'd have to do that really uncomfortable hand-holding, and we'd have to look at each other in the eyes until the parties could come together and say, I'm sorry. See, saying I'm sorry was done out of my own strength growing up. And I grew up in the church, and one of the first verses they would make us memorize, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And so as a kid, I strived to be kind. I strived to forgive, but it was a striving. I did this because it was what I was supposed to do. And I looked into my own righteousness to try to find the courage to forgive others. And honestly, it wasn't all that difficult. Unforgiveness is hard because we often do it on our own strength. I mean, even from childhood, how often do we see parents tell their kids, you need to go say sorry to that person? And all of a sudden, I'm sorry becomes this magic word. I learned really quickly that being able to say the words, I'm sorry, whether I meant it in my heart or not, lessened my punishment by such an incredible extreme. Oftentimes, punishments dissipated with the magic words, I'm sorry. But then as you get older, you realize that this kind and tender-hearted deal, it's not easy. The hurts and the wounds that we receive from other people suddenly become a lot more real, a lot heavier. And we find it difficult to forgive. At least I find it often difficult to forgive. Often it feels like it's weak to forgive. We like to control justice. We like to make demands and put stipulations on our forgiveness. Forgiveness is not easy. See, our job as pastors, as worship leaders, is to help the church enter into the full presence of God. And to do that, oftentimes, we have to find walls that need to be torn down so that we can experience his presence fully. It's what we just sang about. And I am convinced that one of the major walls that keeps us from, from really experiencing the true manifest presence of God is our inability to forgive those who have wounded and hurt us. If you are stuck, frustrated in your faith, if you're feeling stagnant, can I just ask you, is unforgiveness, could it possibly be part of the reason why? If it is today, I want you to just pay attention because I believe that oftentimes, especially if you grew up in the church, we have a warped understanding of forgiveness. I know for myself that oftentimes I've made forgiving others more law than grace. And I imagine that that is true for many in this, people in this room, that we have made forgiving others more law than grace. But friends, we are in a series on ridiculous grace, and ridiculous grace is amazing. Ridiculous grace is what leads to forgiveness. 
One of my favorite theologians puts it this way. He says, whatever the reasons, when forgiveness happens, it is always a miracle of grace because the obstacles that it overcomes are immense. But back to our parable. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This seems like an intense warning, almost a threat that Christ is giving here. And we see Christ do something similar after when he's teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And he goes on to say, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Church, I believe that this parable is here to, it's intended to show the significance and the importance of forgiveness. But I also believe that it is as much, if not more, an invitation, not a threat. See, oftentimes I believe we read through this and we say, yep, that's the part of God's character that I'm really uncomfortable with. That's the part that I have trouble really submitting to because we have this view that God expects things of me that I can't do. And he's just sitting back waiting for me to mess up so that he can punish me. If that is you and you read this and that's what you're feeling, can I just let you know, first, I'm sorry. First, I'm sorry. And second, can I just encourage you to track with me today because this might be the day that you truly understand the fullness of grace in this heart of this God that simply wants to call you a son or a daughter. I believe that we sometimes misinterpret this parable. We see it as such this intense threat, but oftentimes, I I really do, I believe it's more of an invitation. I think we misinterpret it, and there's two reasons why. The first reason is that often we fail to look at the full narrative of Scripture and the way forgiveness works. And we start to see this, and we take just this verse, and we say, okay, clearly it is what I do. It is my forgiving others that leads to me receiving forgiveness. Suddenly it goes from being a gift to being something that we receive because we earned it. But friends, forgiveness is not earned. Forgiveness is not earned. Forgiveness is a gift. If we think forgiveness is earned, this isn't grace. The other train of thought that sometimes we slip into is we say, okay, so I've received this forgiveness. I've been freed of my sin and the weight of my sins. But uh uh-oh, now I'm having trouble forgiving this person. No longer am I receiving God's forgiveness. And again, now suddenly I stand condemned because I was not able to pass along the forgiveness that I received. Again, this puts the power to forgive back into our hands. We take the control back. Again, it is something that is earned. I just think that we need to be careful because forgiveness is not Law, forgiveness is grace. Don't get me wrong. God's forgiveness and our forgiveness of others go hand in hand. But our actions, our actions do not cause or create forgiveness from God. God's forgiveness is not conditional on our performance, thank goodness. Mirzlof Wolf, an incredible theologian that has really learned how to forgive because of just the situation he grew up in, writes this about forgiveness. He writes, rather than triggering a loss of God's forgiveness, our unforgiveness may just make manifest the fact that we haven't allowed ourselves to receive God's pardon. Friends, I believe that our inability to forgive others is actually an opportunity. It's actually an invitation to remember, possibly experience for the first time, Christ's forgiveness. 
This invitation is important because it is difficult to give grace to other people. It is difficult to give grace to others if we can't recognize our own need for grace. It is difficult to extend forgiveness to others if we can't realize our own need for forgiveness. I want to share with you two reasons why I think people struggle to forgive. The first reason is this. Our view of how much we've been forgiven is often weak or it's forgotten. If that's true, we're missing truly how powerful and ridiculous grace is. This is why I believe broken relationships abound, even in the church. And I believe that there is really no clearer visible sign that a disciple, a follower of Christ, doesn't understand the fullness of grace than in their inability to forgive those who have hurt them. In this parable, this servant's debt, it's such a ridiculous amount. Christ chooses a number that is beyond what any, even the wealthiest person of that day could make in his entire lifetime. He chooses a number that is bigger than a community of that person's friends could pull together to bail him out of jail. He picks a number, and that number is so high that this man has no, no choice but to beg for mercy. His life is in the hands of the king. But friends, do we realize that our life is in the hands of the king? Do we realize the weight of our sin? I have different size weights up here. I got a 15 pounder, a 30 pounder, and one that's really heavy that I kind of tweaked my back in it up here. I would curl it for you, but I don't want to show off. (laughs) My question for you is this. Which one of these would you say represents the weight of your sin that Christ had to pay for you on the cross? Friends, can I just tell you that equality is where we all are without grace. True equality is the fact that we are all dead and the weight that we are under isn't represented up here. The weight that we are under because of our sin is somewhere over here and it's pinning us down and we are dead. Scripture makes it clear that in our transgressions we are dead. Not sick, we are dead. Sickness can be cured, sickness can be healed, death cannot. Our sins are as high as the heavens, Ezra 9, 6. It says in James 2, if you mess up some little area of the law, you've broken it all. Our sins are more than the hairs on our heads, Psalm 40. In our sin, we are utterly helpless, Romans 5, 6. I believe that to understand ridiculous grace, we have to comprehend the ridiculous weight of our own sin. To understand how ridiculous grace is, we have to comprehend how ridiculous the weight of our own sin is. I don't know if you've actually had that feeling where you finally hit you. It hits you how heavy your sins are. I'll never forget. See, I grew up in the church. I grew up and I never really went rogue. I never really rebelled against my parents in the church. I was a pretty good guy. And I would have told you, this is me right here. I'm right here. I'm not as good as some of those old ladies that pray, but I'm right here. I'm right here. There's a couple months. There's a couple months. Maybe I was here, but this is me right here. And in that, I tried to forgive people because I strive to be good, and I did it out of my own righteousness. It wasn't until I was in college, I'll never forget it, I was a senior in college when I finally got this concept of the weight of his grace. I was at a church service in Nyack, New York, and there was nothing special about this service. And we were just in there worshiping, but this song, we were singing this song, and it was this new song to me. It was called Once Again, and there was this line that said, Once again, I look upon the cross where Jesus died, and I'm humbled by his mercy, and I'm broken inside. And I remember singing that, and suddenly I realized that I put him up there, that that he had to pay, that I was dead, and I put him up there, and I felt the weight 
I felt the weight of what my sin was that he had to suffer for. And it changed me. It transformed me. And I have to revisit that often. But when I felt that weight for the first time and I just stood there just weeping and I couldn't stop and that embarrasses me and I didn't like it, but I just sat in that weeping because I realized the weight of my own sin. And when I realized that, it quickly I realized how ridiculous his grace was. And quickly I also realized that now I had a new power to actually forgive those people that really hurt me. Friends, this parable is in here because Christ knew we would battle with this. He knew that we would, we would understand that we've been forgiven, but oftentimes we would forget how much. For people like you and me who struggle to forgive, maybe it's because we don't reflect enough on what we've truly been forgiven from. I believe this parable is a reminder for us to dwell on how much he had to suffer because of our sin so that we can again experience the power of his grace. A heart that is truly repentant and has fully grasped this grace, this forgiveness received, is a heart that finds the courage to forgive others. For whatever reason, the the, the servant in this parable, he doesn't get it. He fails to extend the mercy that he has received. And it's a difficult story. And we don't understand why he didn't get it. I don't know. The story doesn't tell us. Maybe he felt more justified before the king than we think. Maybe he felt, I've been taking risks on to expand this kingdom over the years. Why? Of course he's going to forgive me. Maybe he had been super loyal for decades to the king. So he just expected, of course there's going to be some forgiveness. I don't know why he didn't pass it on, but we know he didn't get it. And that leads to a second roadblock. I believe that oftentimes, at least I legitimize my situations, but not others that have hurt me. Oftentimes, we legitimize our situations, but not others. We are blind to our own sin. I do this. Wolf talks about this, and he says, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. But no one can be in the presence of the God of the crucified Messiah for long without overcoming this double exclusion. Man, I do this all the time. I look at that person and, and I don't even see them as human because they have wounded me so bad. And then I look at the mirror and I, with great self-righteousness, say I would never do that to anyone. those who fail to see how much they've been forgiven will also fail to extend forgiveness to others. This is a struggle. This is real. Forgiveness is difficult. Broken relationships abound. Thanksgiving and Christmas are right around the corner. Families and friends are gonna gather and so will the elephants in the room. So will those unresolved, unforgiven issues, those people that we have not made it right with. The the awkwardness will be there and everyone in the room will know it's there and feel it. The need is there. We need to grasp how ridiculous this grace is so that we can in turn forgive. So how are you doing with this? Are you struggling to fear, to forgive? Are you legitimizing your own situation and not those of others? Church, as we rediscover or maybe discover for the first time how much we have been forgiven, it will unleash a new perspective, a new posture, a new position that allows us to forgive others. I believe that this gospel of grace, this ridiculous grace, it gives us the emotional humility, the wholeness, and the capacity to forgive. That's what it unlocks. Ridiculous grace unlocks the ability to forgive, and it gives us these things so that we can 
Tim Keller writes about emotional humility. He says, you can remain bitter towards someone only if you feel superior to them. If you are sure that you would never do anything like that. To remain unforgiving means you are unaware of your own sinfulness and your own need for forgiveness. When Paul says he is the worst among sinners in 1 Timothy 1, he is not exaggerating. He is saying that he is as capable of sin as the worst criminals are. The gospel has equipped him with emotional humility. Kierkegaard, the philosopher, says that in his works of love, he says that forgiveness actually leads to two victories. The victory over unforgiveness and the victory over pride. The gospel of grace also gives us wholeness. If you are not whole, if you are insecure in whether or not you've truly been forgiven or that you're truly loved and a son and a daughter of Christ, yes, it's going to be difficult to forgive people. But when our identity, our purpose, who we are is clearly under him and we live from that, we actually can't even be hurt on the same level because no one can mess with our significance. No one can mess with our identity. They are secure in who we are in Christ Jesus. And it expands our capacity. Our emotional capacity is there. Friends, I'm forgiven. That's where my capacity to forgive comes from. We have grace and forgiveness to give because we have received it in abundance. We are grace wealthy. We are a grace wealthy people. I believe this parable is here not to threaten you. I believe this parable was put here by Jesus to give you an invitation. An invitation to remember or possibly experience the first time Christ's forgiveness for you. And so with this parable, we're invited. And how do we accept this invitation? Church, I want so badly for you to understand this concept this morning. I want so badly for you to experience it, to internalize it, for it to move from the cerebral down into your soul. I want you to understand this living truth that you were dead in your sins, and dead meant dead, and we're all equal there, but with Christ's ridiculous grace, we are alive. I want you to get it and understand that the level of your forgiveness, the depths of that, when that sets in, it will release the capacity, the humility for you to be able to forgive those who have wounded you. With this parable, I want to invite you, as we worship here in a little bit, I want to invite you to ask God to reveal to you how much he has forgiven you. I want you to ask him to reveal how amazing his grace is. I want you to dwell on the word wretched and what that truly means, but how you are wretched no more because of his grace. The second thing that I want you to do in an invitation in response to this is to ask the Spirit to come and to expose things to you. I want to take you through five steps of how to grant someone forgiveness that I was taught, that I utilize for myself, and that I utilize when someone wants to forgive someone else. I take them through these steps, and I just want to share these with you this morning. Steps to forgiveness. The first is to ask the Spirit to come and expose in you if you have unforgiveness. Because if you are going to become a forgiven forgiver, you got to make sure that you don't have any unforgiven sin in your life. And so first thing is you ask the Spirit to come. Maybe something's eating you up inside and you ask him to expose that. When you ask the Spirit to do that, at least in my life, oftentimes he brings a name or a face to mind right away. 
And this is what I generally try to do with it. No, not that one. Please, no, not that one. And I move on to something that's a little easier to deal with. But friends, when he brings that name to your mind, may I tell you that's probably the one that you really need to release from your prison. So we ask that he would expose that. The second step is we confess. We confess. We confess both the unforgiveness and the symptoms of it. Because if we're not forgiving people, we need to confess that to the Lord. That is sin. That is keeping us. That is a wall that is keeping us from experiencing his manifest presence. But also, you know, we have those hurts. Somebody that hurt you two days ago and it wasn't that big. And, you know, we, we can confess those. But a lot of times, those hurts that we've been carrying for years, there's stuff that's been attached to that. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's resentment. Maybe it's avoidance. Maybe you don't wish that person well. Maybe you've even cursed them. Maybe you like to kind of see them fail when you watch from afar. These are what we confess. The third step is the hardest one. It's when we actually forgive. And listen, some of you today, you're going to find some freedom and you're going to forgive someone and that's awesome. But some of you today, it's too big. And you're going to start a journey today. You're going to start a journey and you're going to, it's a choice of our will spurred because of our forgiveness, what we ourselves have forgiven. But you're going to start a journey today and that's okay. For me, when I need to forgive someone, I actually, I do it kind of formally. I actually write this out for myself and pronounce it and I read it out loud. This is what I write. I put the person's name and I say, I release you from the prison of my unforgiveness. I don't like to think that I'm like, have this prison. It's uncomfortable for me. But that in reality is what it is. I release you from the prison of my unforgiveness, even as I have been forgiven. So also in Jesus' name, I forgive you. I forgive you not out of my own righteousness or power or because I'm striving to be good. I can only forgive you because of what I personally have experienced. But friends, I don't want you to stop there. The fourth step is that we actually bless the person that we're pronouncing forgiveness on. We bless them. We bless them. We bless the person that has hurt you. We break any, any judgments that we have placed on that person and we bless them. And may I encourage you that you would bless them with the ability to see the ridiculous grace that you have grasped? Would you bless them with health? Would you bless them with success? Would you bless their family? Would you bless everything that they touch? The final step, and this one's important, especially if that forgiveness issue is big. If it's been there for a while, chances are different things have attached to it. And if you forgive that person and find freedom, there will be some voids in your life. There will be some voids there in your soul. And so may I encourage you to seek healing. Would you ask the Spirit to come now and heal the areas of that that have been bound by hurt and unforgiveness in your own life? And ask the Spirit to come and seal up the work that he has done. Church, we're going to worship. We're going to worship now, and may I encourage you, ask the Lord, ask the Spirit to reveal to you how much you've been forgiven. Because when you realize that, the ridiculous grace flows immediately. And then would you just ask him to expose whether or not you have any walls up because of unforgiveness in your life, and see if he wants to give you the power and the courage to release people today. Jesus, we tell you that we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we receive this invitation today. We recognize the seriousness of unforgiveness and we realize that it is connected to your forgiveness. And so, Lord, we invite you here today and I just release revelation that many in this room today would experience or remember 
how much they have been forgiven and experience your ridiculous grace in new and fresh ways. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and expose any unforgiveness that is here that you want to remove today to bring freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.